if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock and we are rolling on a Tuesday, the second morning of the third month of the year of our Lord 2021. Appreciate you being with us coming up on the program today. We're going to be talking with Jack Windsor, intrepid reporter and managing editor of the Ohio Star and a couple of breaking Ohio news stories one of which involves another hat potentially in the ring for governor. We know that Mike DeWine is going to be primaried by somebody. Maybe it's going to be by this guy. I'll let Jack break that with you for you coming up at 935. Jack also has some of the reaction from conservatives in Ohio listening to former Ohio Republican Party Chair Jane Timken, who now wants to somehow paint herself as a conservative, flipping and a flopping on the issue of Anthony Gonzalez and his ridiculously uninformed vote to impeach President Donald J. Trump. Um, it, this, is, this is kind of big. This is, this is really a lot of chutzpah that this woman is showing. And uh, Jack Windsor is going to tell us all about that coming up at 9.35. Then at 10.10, you know what it is today. It's Kersenau Day. Tuesday is Kersenau Day. Peter is going to join us to talk about a whole host of issues, and we certainly, of course, look forward to that. Phone lines are open to you at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Don't forget, you can also call the uh, message line, the authority uh, message line, if you want. You just heard that a few moments ago. And before we get into the top story of the day, let's pause for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic of for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Paying respect to our great country while ticking off liberals from one end of this country to the other. That's exactly why we played the pledge. All right, uh, thanks again for being with us. I'm going to start um, with... Um, a very simple concept. It's one that we have, I have identified. I shouldn't say we, and I don't speak for other people. I do have, you know, I've heard a lot of other people say this as well, but it's certainly what I believe. A few years ago, I, I declared that the battle against radical Islamic terrorism is the defining struggle of our time. Um, that battle, I think, is over. 
Well, I shouldn't say that. Let's let's be real. The fact that we haven't had another nine eleven or another you know uh, you know series of radical Islamic terrorist attacks either in the United States or on our interests or anywhere else uh, in a while doesn't necessarily mean the battle is over. These these radicals are in it for the long game. Make no mistake about it. We've talked about that literally for centuries. They know that they will just be a cog in the wheel or a spoke in the wheel of uh, the advancement <clears throat> of jihad uh, all over the world. Uh, but my point to this is that has taken a bit of a backseat to what I now call the defining struggle of our time. And I think this is bigger because it's a different kind of a struggle. It's not one that involves battling war or wiping out an ISIS or you know, trying to stop a caliphate. It's about protecting and preserving the First Amendment to the Constitution. Freedom of speech is under attack like it has never been under attack before. Um, and I have been talking about this for a while now. Most of it has to do with the cancel culture. A lot of it has to do with big tech. And much of it combines those two things. Yesterday I played for you a series of the uh, speech or clips from the speech that um, Congressman Jim Jordan gave at CPAC on Sunday. He talked about free speech. He talked about the First Amendment. And he was spot on. I want you to hear a couple of these before I tell you today's real top story here. Do you have a functioning First Amendment when only one side's allowed to talk? Do you have free speech when the left controls what can be said? They want to be able to say whatever they can about us, but we're not allowed to talk. They want to be able to lie about us. We're not allowed to tell the truth about them. Do you have a functioning First Amendment when only one side of a disagreement is allowed to talk? And the answer, of course, is no. You do not. Think about this one. Think about this one. January 6, 2017, Democrats can object to the electors, can, can object to counting the electors from 10 states. But on January 6, 2021, Republicans aren't allowed to object to the electors from six states. Now, that part you may think was a different topic. It wasn't, because it's about freedom of speech. The Democrats were free to use their voices to complain and question and challenge the certification of the electors from certain states when they didn't like the outcome of the election and they felt like there was some fraud. Now, he went on to kind of laughingly point out one of the states that they challenged was Wyoming, in which President Trump won by 42 points. It's impossible for fraud to have impacted that race, but... His point was, they wanted to silence us on January 6th. We wanted to stand up and make our case that there were some certain irregularities in certain states that should cause us to investigate, to audit the election in those states before we certify the electors and thus certify the election. They were canceled. They were told they weren't going to be allowed to do that. And, of course, when the riot happened, everything was off the table anyway. Democrats have saying you can't raise your voice to make that argument. You are not allowed to speak. Only we are allowed to speak on these matters. You must be silent. And if you're not, you are contributing to the anarchy. The First Amendment is in extreme jeopardy in this country. It's one of the reasons why I belong to and am actually a um, part of Citizens for Free Speech, which is a 501c3. It's based in Arizona, but it has a huge foothold here in Ohio. And I represent Citizens for Free Speech specifically for reasons like this. 
I'm going to tell you the story of a high school principal down in Tennessee who has been suspended, or actually who was suspended in January for not just exercising his right to free speech, but for delivering a speech via video to his students about free speech, telling them to be careful so that they don't see their own free speech become canceled, revoked, repealed, removed, their right to it repealed. His name is Barton Thorne, principal of Cordova High School in Shelby County, Tennessee. In January, he delivered a video address to his students in which he warned them about big tech companies that filter and decide what you can hear and what you can know about. And he's a thousand percent right. Twitter determines what you can read about and what you can't. Facebook determines what they will allow you to see and what they won't. Same thing with Amazon. Same thing with, um, with Apple, to the, to the extent that they removed the Parler app. Now, his remarks came shortly after the January 6th riot and the subsequent bans of President Trump from Twitter and Facebook. Now, in the video, this principal called the riot sedition and ignorance at the highest levels. So he did not condone the riot, clearly. But he cautioned that the burgeoning movement to restrict discourse on major platforms could have a negative consequence to everybody. At one point in the speech, Barton Thorne said, think about totalitarian governments. Think about North Korea. Think about China. What makes those types of systems possible is the restriction and elimination of the free exchange of ideas. He went on to say, and America, and in democracies, we talk about the marketplace of ideas. Well, what happens when the marketplace of ideas becomes a forced monopoly? Now, end quote. Now, I'm going to ask you to listen carefully to those things and, and find out what is punishable, what is incorrect, what is suspendable, what would have been worth the school board suspending this man and threatening his job for talking to his students about the free speech that this country enjoys, or at least it has, and comparing it to nations whose free speech has been revoked from them, nations who live under authoritarian and totalitarian control. He mentioned North Korea and China, for example. Um, I'm going to give you, I'm going to fast forward to the, to the outcome of this at the moment. But then in the next segment, I'm going to share with you the exact contents of his speech, the full context, contents and context of his speech. But the fast-forward version is this. He was suspended. He immediately hired a lawyer, retaining the counsel of the Liberty Justice Center. Daniel Sewer, a senior attorney at the center who agreed to represent Thorne, said the school district reinstated him immediately upon being contacted by his lawyer. When legal counsel reached out to the school board, they said, oh, oh, no, he's, uh, he's reinstated. They knew what they were doing was absolutely wrong, and that is the danger. 
We filed Thursday morning. We got contacted by Shelby County Schools shortly thereafter and told them, uh, they told him he was being reinstated, Sewer said, which really betrays the fact that this was not about due process. This was about politics. This really started with Principal Thorne doing his job, Sewer said. If you read the transcript of the video address, which I will read to you, you can see the Principal Thorne was encouraging his students to think critically. He was talking about the importance of free speech in a free society. And he was trying to teach his students that when we disagree with people, it's important that we respond respectfully and engage with their arguments. In other words, not to silence their speech, which is what they do. Now, even though he had been reinstated, Principal Thorne is still suing the school district over the dismissal, arguing that it wasn't just about his job, it was about his reputation. When they took Principal Thorne's job away, they took his reputation away. They gave him his job back. Now they need to make right on his reputation. Uh, the school district will not comment on this. I'm going to share with you exactly what he said, but here is a principal that gave a speech that I might give on the radio. Not kidding. Just speaking very directly about the assault on our free speech and the danger that it poses for all of us if we are not allowed to respond to something that somebody else says that we didn't like without being canceled, without having our account suspended, without having our employers contacted, without having our address and phone number doxxed, without having, you know, facing the full wrath of the cancel culture. If we cannot, like Jim Jordan said, do we really have a First Amendment guaranteeing free speech when only one side is allowed to speak? This speech that he gave on video to his students is one that I may have given on the airwaves, on my own. Because every word of it was spot on. Not most of it, every word. Not a single word, nor syllable, nor letter was anything suspendable or punishable in a free society that truly does value and protect its free speech. So this is kind of a double whammy when I talk about the greatest, most defining struggle of our time. This is a free speech issue about a speech given about free speech. So it's like a double whammy. And it's extraordinarily important. And I'll share the rest of that, or I'll share the context of that with you, rather, after this time out, right here on AM 1420 The Answer. Okay, I'm going to do my best to get this in before the bottom of the hour break. This is the entire this is the entire speech that was given, the transcript of the speech that was given uh, in a video format to all of the students and staff at Cordova High School on January 11th by uh, Barton Thorne, the principal there. This is what led to his suspension. The thing I want to talk about that's happened recently, I have never, from my years of teaching and administration, I do not get into religion and I do not get into politics with my students. It's not that I don't, I'm not involved in them, I'm deeply involved in them, but it's my belief that these things should reflect your values, and your values is something you should get from your parents. So first of all, I love the guy for that reason alone. It's not up to the schools to put values in the kids' heads, it's up to the parents to do that. So I always want to have uh, students go to their parents and when they have questions about their values and how that value should be reflected in their faith, their politics, and if you want to align those decisions about religion and politics with those values and with truth. And also, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I have no beliefs in some great overarching Illuminati group that's taking over anything. But some stuff happened last week that I do have problems with, and I think this affects you, and I want to help you think about them. I'm not going to tell you what to think. I just want to help you think. 
And no, it's not about the Capitol riots. That was ignorance on the highest levels. I don't know too many people who are going to be okay with what happened. I don't care what side you agree with. We don't practice sedition. We don't attack our legislature. But no, it's what's going on with Twitter and Facebook and Google and Apple. And their decision as private companies to filter and to decide what you can hear and know about. And this isn't about Trump. I'm not getting into that. This is about speech. Because there have been times, even in American history, where a small group of people decided what you can hear. You think about McCarthyism. If you don't know about that, you can Google that or talk to your social studies teacher. But think about totalitarian governments. Think about North Korea. Think about China. What makes those types of systems possible is the restriction and the elimination of the free exchange of ideas. In America and in democracies, we talk about the marketplace of ideas. Well, what happens when the marketplace of ideas becomes a forced monopoly? What happens when you do not have dissenting opinions, when you do not have an exchange on competing ideas? How do you know if your ideas can stand on their own if there is no marketplace of ideas? This sounds really suspendable, doesn't it? This is terrible what he's teaching these kids. Continuing. And I'm not saying that because I'm in favor of Parler, or if I'm in favor of Donald Trump, or if I'm in favor of anyone else who's being banned on their app, is being told that you cannot be in a marketplace of ideas because you do not follow our prescribed ideas and values. I have a huge issue with that. And to me, this became a problem back in the 1990s, in an event that history has be- in history has become known as Waco. And most of y'all weren't even alive. But your teachers and your parents will know about this. I was not part of the Branch Davidians. I do not have anything for or against Branch Davidians or David Koresh. But that happened, or excuse me, but what happened was because there was a religious group in Waco, Texas, and some folks thought that some folks thought was a little bit odd, the government decided they needed to go in and check them out. And, of course, they were doing some things that most people would have thought was a little bit outside of the norm, maybe way outside the norm, but that's not the point. The point was that a group of people decided that somebody who disagreed, who thought differently or looked differently from them, needed to be filtered, needed to be reined in, needed to be controlled by somebody else. Well, what was a religious, or excuse me, well, that was a religious group, and I belong to a religious group. What happens if one day a different group of people think that my religion is different or funny or should be brought under control? Take that into speech. Maybe right now I'm in the norm. Maybe right now my speech isn't too outlandish or too crazy. You might disagree, but I'm not espousing violence or racism or sexism or anything else that as a culture we deem inappropriate. But what if a different group comes into power that no longer likes what I have to say? or how I think, or if I, they begin to think that I'm extreme. At some point, any time we allow a group of people to tell another group of people, you can't think this, you can't say this, you can't write this, and you can't go to, go to places where it is talked about. And that's just one step away from now that happening to you. Because right now, it may be the ideas that you value are shared by people who are in power and filtering those people who are not in power. But it's just one election or one moment away from that being flipped. And I'm only getting into this because as a young person, this is your future. You have a future ahead of you, and you will be developing your ideas and your values and the ways you want to express yourself. And I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on any social media. My children are not on, my, on social media. I'm 100% against Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, not because they in and of themselves are bad platforms, but what is happening on them, I'm not in favor of that. And this predates all of these things. I got off social media years and years ago, but because these entities, Twitter, Facebook, Google, and Apple, are so powerful, they have unilaterally made a decision 
of what you can and cannot see. That's a major issue, and I want you to understand that. I want you to understand the problem that's going to face you and your generation if there is no longer a marketplace of free exchange of ideas. So Twitter and Facebook particularly want to establish themselves as a marketplace of ideas. And if Google and Apple want to position themselves as the market where these things can be downloaded and purchased, that then they unilaterally, outside of the elective process, decide what you can and cannot hear, that should be very chilling to you. That should be very frightening for you, not because of the ideas that are being blocked or filtered, but because there is somebody making that decision that does not have any accountability. They're not elected. They're not responsible or accountable to you other than financially. So sure, you can decide to take yourself off Facebook and Twitter as I have done, but that's it. That's the only accountability measure they have, and I'm not comfortable with that. Just like Waco, I'm not a Branch Davidian, but what's going to stop them from coming to my church and saying, because we are not what they think we should be, they have the ability to control and filter that. So just some things to think about. I know that's a little bit different from what I normally talk about. I'll pause here. He gives these video lectures uh, apparently on a routine basis to the to the school. This principal does. Get to the news. It's a little bit different from what I normally talk about, and hopefully that helps you understand that this is a big deal. It may not seem that way because you're 15, 16, 17, and you don't have a lot of perspective that older people have. You don't remember Waco, so you don't rem- remember Ruby Ridge. And maybe you haven't even studied or read about McCarthyism and what all happened, and how many people lost their jobs and their lives even because of association or because of thoughts they may have had, or just wonderings. Can we just not wonder about things? So anyway, think about that. Talk to your parents about it. If you trust a teacher, talk to your teacher about it. Be aware, be in the loop as far as what's going on, and not whether or not you agree or disagree with the people being filtered, but can this happen to you one day? And think about that and just remember that our power is in our choices. We can choose our actions, but not our consequences. So make wise choices and have a great week. That's the full speech that that principal gave his school, and he was canceled for daring to tell the kids to indeed protect their own free speech. We'll be right back. Okay, 9.37 now as we continue on AM fourteen twenty. The Answer. Before I bring Jack Windsor on, I just want to put a lid on that story that I just did for you. I read you that long-form transcript of the speech from Principal Thorne. He was suspended by his school for telling the kids in a video address to be protective and careful uh, of their free speech because it is under assault. And when uh, you cannot or you are not free to say what you want and see what you want and read what you want because of other people's ideas of what is appropriate and what is offensive, we're in very grave danger. It's a very, very strong message. He ended it by telling the kids, go talk to your parents about this. Go talk to a teacher about this if there's a teacher you trust as well. And have a great week, everyone. That was apparently so offensive it got him suspended. There was a lawsuit that is underway now as he looks to clear his name and his reputation and hopefully set a... um, precedent for others schools are allowing teachers to fill kids heads with all kinds of crap first amendment and the the importance of protecting it and he gets fired well suspended all right we'll come back to that i do want to bring jack windsor on now as promised jack windsor is the managing editor of the ohio star and he has been busy all over ohio politics the last few days uh really in the last several weeks jack good morning how are you Bob, I'm great. Thank you for choosing me. It's good to be with you and the uh, AM 1420 listeners. 
Always a pleasure to talk to you, Jack Windsor. And you've got your hands full. We all do, really, quite frankly, but you've been covering doing great work at theohiostar.com. So let's start with um, there's a new boss in town, uh, or in the state, if you will, of the Ohio Republican Party. Jane Timken, we know, stepped down to make a run for the Senate, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, but they, of course, had a vote just a few days ago for the new uh, chairperson of the Ohio Republican Party. And it turns out it is a familiar face and a familiar name, Bob Paduchik. Bob Paduchik uh, takes over for Jane Timken and now is, pers- <laughs> I should be careful here, is probably, in my opinion, going to begin doing the bidding of Jane Timken as he promotes her for the Senate seat that Rob Portman is going to be abandoning. What is your thought, Jack Windsor, on Paduchik taking over the ORP? Well, you know, it's not it's not a surprise. And... Um, I'll give you the thought that I've been receiving a lot from Ohioans who've sent messages over the last week. And the primary thought is it's pre-wired. So you look at Rob Portman stepping down, um, Jane Timken uh, shortly thereafter, uh, or Rob didn't step down, announcing that he wasn't going to see that seat again. And then Jane stepping down. And um, and then Paducic, Paducic just kind of, you know, manifesting out of nowhere and uh, getting getting the seat. So there are people who feel like, hey, this was pre-wired. Um, you know, Portman wasn't, it wasn't a surprise move. Timken wasn't surprised. Um, someone actually said, I think she accepted her uh, re-election in January as a, really kind of a method um, to keep people off guard so that when this all happened, uh, folks really wouldn't have a, an opportunity to pre- prepare and get their senses about them. But, uh, you know, it, it depends on who you talk to. Uh, Mike DeWine had some really good things to say about Paducic on Saturday. He called him a longtime friend and, uh, you know, one of the most effective campaign managers. Secretary of State LaRose uh, essentially said the same thing, calling him a winner uh, during the election on Friday. He had uh, managed the Ohio campaign for Bush back in 2000 and 2004, and then Trump back in 2016. He took a lesser role as a senior advisor uh, on the 2020 campaign. Um, But, you know, on the surface, everyone would call him a Trump Republican. Um, But when you dig a little bit, the word I get a lot is establishment. Well, that's exactly why I brought it up, and I'm glad you gave that little bit of a history of his career and what he has done. Because, and that's why I set it up the way that I did. Because now that he's taking over for the former chair, he is he is uh, probably going to be pushing uh, that uh, former chair for the Senate seat. And this the 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 order of things, the chronology you just gave about Portman making his announcement, and then uh, Timken making hers, and now Paduchik stepping up. It just looks like it's all fitting so perfectly together. And I have a huge problem with that. And here's the reason why. I am not satisfied with Ohio's Republican Party. I am not satisfied with the Ohio government as it stands. I am not satisfied with this weak-willed, uh, state-destroying, uh, rhino governor Mike DeWine. I am not satisfied with the leadership, or at least previous leadership, of the General Assembly, particularly on the Senate side. There, and, and I have seen nothing whatsoever to indicate that the Republicans who are in charge of the state are going to start working on behalf of the people. It seems like they're only interested in working on behalf of getting more Republicans in power, profit and power over people. That is the big complaint that I have that I'm hearing from a lot of other Ohio Republicans. And I don't know how Bob Paduchik running this, uh, running this uh, state government, running the state party rather, uh, Probably going to, you know, endorse and, and back and support Mike DeWine for another term of destruction. Probably going to support Timken to go in and be just a rhino. Might as well be a Democrat in the, in the uh, United States Senate. 
I've got a big problem with the way this is turning out, and I know a lot of other people do too, Jack Windsor. Yeah, they do. And, you know, you're starting to see the writing on the wall. I, I think it would be, you know, I guess anything's possible. But when you look at the run for U.S. Senate, I'm hard-pressed to believe that the Ohio Republican Party isn't going to support Jane Timken. Um, and then, you know, they gave, the party gave Mike DeWine over $4 million, or Mike DeWine and John Husted, their campaign, yeah. over $4 million in 2018. Uh, you know, I don't think you cut your investment like that. So I think the ORP is going to strongly endorse Jane Timken for U.S. Senate and then, you know, the re-election effort of Mike DeWine. And the latter is going to be particularly offensive to some groups of people. There was a poll that came out uh, in late November, and DeWine was polling at 23% approval among uh, people who are likely to vote in a Republican primary. And then the Ohio uh, Voters Group, Value Voters Group, board member talked to me over the weekend and said, we just did another poll, and he's sitting at 24%. So if 23 to 24% of your conservative base is supporting your governor, and you're going to come out gangbusters and support him, um, man. Uh, you know you're, you're splintering the party even even further than it already is. Spot in my, on. In my opinion. You know, spot on. Jack Windsor is our guest. He's the managing editor at the Ohio Star. You're spot on. And let's talk about that race again a little bit more because uh, Dewine, yes, he will generate the support of his pal Bob Paduchik. That's why he came out and praised him and the, and the rest of the ORP. Despite the fact there are going to be some other very well known and, and and rather popular in circles uh, Republican challengers, including former Congressman Jim Renacci. We all know he is very very close to making an announcement. And now you broke something on the Ohio Star late last night. Another popular Ohio congressman is thinking of running for uh, the governor's race or entering the governor's race, and also primary. Mike DeWine. You want to tell us who that is? Yeah, so over the summer, while I was covering COVID and talking to a lot of people um, on both sides of the aisle, um, this guy's name came up, and uh, the person said, you know, I think Warren Davidson would be a really strong person to primary Governor DeWine. And I said, all right, tell me me about Warren. Um, You know, he comes from uh, Boehner's district out there um, in uh, 8, which is a really strong red area. Um, and he won his primary in 2016, and that's the closest race, he, race he's had. He has um, trounced the, the Democratic contenders twice by, uh, I want to say, 33 and 38 points, respectively. But uh, so Davidson was at CPAC over the weekend, which, you know, a lot of folks tuned into, uh, particularly on Sunday, to hear uh, President Donald Trump. And uh, during that convention, Warren Davidson said, hey, um, you know, I might be interested in running for Senate or the governor's chair. So I reached out to his one of his top aides yesterday, and the aide confirmed, yes, we've had a lot of people say, please take a look at it. So he is. And I said, well, look, is he looking more at the junior senator seat, or is he going to run for governor? And the aide said, I'd say he's looking a little harder at the race for governor right now. Um, and we can get in a little bit about uh, you know what Davidson is and what he stands for, um, but, boy, that's going to be a heck of a race if you have Renacci, um, DeWine, obviously, and now Warren Davidson. Well, I already like Davidson, especially when you do look at a little bit, you know, what he has done in, in Congress. You know, this is a guy who has voted specifically against impeaching President Trump. Not that that was a hard call, unless your name is Anthony Gonzalez. Uh, revoking funding for the border wall. This is all in the article in the Ohio Star that you put together. Uh, uh, revoking funding, uh, funding for the border wall. He voted against that. He's been a pro-life advocate, uh, a public opponent of the uh, massive run-up in U.S. debt, which means he's fiscally uh, sound and, uh, and a believer in fiscal sanity. 
and um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know, with respect to the, some of the social issues, including uh, transgenders. You know, rather than talking about transgenders' rights to compete, it's talking about protecting and preserving actual females' rights to compete against other females. So he has been as conservative, at least in his principles and in his votes, um, and in his stand, you know, his platform or policies as there is, and that stands in stark contrast to a very, very, you know, weak-willed rhino, you know, uh, like like Mike DeWine. Um, I've already got Jim Renacci, who I like a lot, and I really like his conservative bona fides. I like Warren Davidson's as well, and here's the problem. Neither one of them is going to get the backing of Bob Paduchik and this very warped rhino-led uh, Ohio Republican Party. You're right, and, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't even uh, mention Joe Blystone. Uh, Joe Blystone, who uh, I think would probably call himself a constitutional Republican, is somebody who's also entered the race, but same issue. Uh, the man is a businessman, he's an American, he's conservative, uh, but you know he doesn't have the financial backing. And uh, Yet, I'm not saying that that can't happen, but Davidson is going to run to the same thing. But I think the thing that makes him extremely attractive, in addition to being uh, you know, a former uh, Army Ranger, a businessman, uh, somebody who's a member of um, the House Freedom Caucus. He said on Saturday that uh, Governor DeWine's approach has been overbearing and it's caused more harm than it needed to and a lot of collateral damage. And he said, I wish that the governor had taken more cues from Governor DeSantis of Florida and yeah. then went on to say the biggest companies got bigger while Main Street was crippled. I think that message right there resonates um, with you know whatever that percentage is, if it's 60 or 70 percent of the Republicans who are holding their breath, waiting for somebody other than DeWine to show up in the primary. That message right there, I think, resonates with everybody. Jack, one other story here that you put it together is a story on the reactions of some Ohio conservatives, including at least one declared Senate candidate not named Jane Timken, responding and reacting to Jane Timken's sudden uh, conservative flip. Um, and, and I say sudden because it was only a couple of months ago that she was... Um, she was uh, praising, to a degree, Anthony Gonzalez's vote to impeach Donald Trump without due process, declaring that he had rational reasons for doing so, declared that he is a good and effective congressman, and declaring that she didn't know how she would have voted when it came to uh, uh, impeaching Donald Trump out of the House of Representatives. Suddenly she's changed her mind. Suddenly she has found herself as a, as a conservative and uh, who opposed what Anthony Gonzalez did. Tell us more. Yeah, so that that first take. I, yesterday, here's what I heard. Light, camera, action, rolling. Take three, Jane Timken, critique of Anthony Gonzalez. You know, <laughs> it's, it's the third iteration. And you just go, and, and I get it. I think she's trying to find her sea legs and find her voice. But you hit it You're right on. She came out, and, and you know, she was um, very kind. And then her second iteration was, hey, he did the wrong thing. I disagree with his vote, and this impeachment is a sham. And I guess I scratch my head and go, well, then why come out a third time? Well, the reason she came out a third time is exactly, I think, what Josh Mandel called her out on. Uh, you know, she came out then yesterday and said um, he needs to do a favor to the Republican Party and his constituents, and Gonzalez needs to resign. And so uh, Josh Mandel came out and said, hey, last night President Trump declared that there's no room in the party for spineless establishment Republicans. And with this latest flip-flop, Jane Timken has proven herself as just that, a spineless establishment flip-flopper. So um, I think she was trying to stand up and say, hey, I'm going to take a strong stance here. But it's, again, it's third take, and it's hard to take that third take as seriously as the first or the second. That's what I'm getting from other Republicans. That's not my opinion. So, no. you know, Mandy, 
weighed in. Um, obviously, Renacy, who um, had that seat before Gonzalez weighed in, and he said, you know, just like Republicans in the 16th District, I want somebody to talk about principles and beliefs. Uh, I want to know where they stand on policy. Uh, Mark Pukita, who's also running for that seat, came out and said, I'm confused. Didn't she support Anthony Gonzalez in his vote to impeach President Trump? And then went on to say some, some really hard things, you know. Does Ohio really need another knee-jerking, flip-flopping, Harvard-indoctrinated, say anything to get elected, old GOP operative lawyer as a senator? Uh, so, you know, the critique was, was really, really harsh. But the thing I will say, um, I, you know, I did a little digging on her current campaign manager, Corey Bliss, and in her critique yesterday, she compared Gonzalez to Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. And I kind of went, ah, there it is. Uh, so what we're going to probably see from Jane Timken's campaign is I'm a strong Trump Republican, and anybody who's weak is going to get the label of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, and we're going to villainize them, at least through the primary. So now we know what her strategy is. And here's the most frustrating thing, uh, Jack, and real short here because we're short on time. She's probably going to get an endorsement from President Trump. So it's interesting. She originally came out, I believe, claiming she got the endorsement. And uh, I got some intel last night that says maybe not so much that um, they may be you know, putting the brakes on that or at least pumping the brakes on it. Um, but there is a chance. I, I think what will happen is I think the Trump team will see, obviously, what is uh, Mike Gibbons going to do and what is Warren Davidson going to do? Because those are two Trump people. And uh, so we'll see. But, but Jane Timken, Jane Timken led the ORP. He won by eight here. Bob Paduchik was his campaign manager in Ohio in 2016 and a senior advisor this time around, as you effectively described earlier. Bob Paduchik is going to push for Jane Timken. I have no, I, I can't see Donald Trump not, do, because I, he's made these kinds of mistakes before, I think, in my opinion, in terms of some of his decisions to endorse. He's going to endorse the people he's familiar with. Uh, he's going to endorse whoever Bob Paduchik tells him to endorse or at least advises him from Ohio because they've worked together closely. My biggest concern, your quote about what Trump said about there is no room for spineless, weak, and I can't remember how you said it, you know, people in the Republican Party. He's going to endorse one of them in Jane Timken. Last thought, 30 seconds. Uh, no, I think you're right. I think uh, Jane Timken is, is sitting at the in, in the catbird seat, um, and I think Mike DeWine is. And so I think what you're going to see is um, what what is the grassroots movement, what is the anti-establishment movement in the GOP in Ohio going to do, and what do they have the power to do? We're going to learn that uh, in the next year. Yeah, and we're going to find out whether or not President Trump is truly open to uh, the, the best conservatives for these positions or if he's going to stick with his traditional route of endorsements. Uh, Jack Windsor, Managing Editor of The Ohio Star. Great work on all the stories, including the Davidson story, the Timken flip-flop, and more. Jack, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Bob. Have a great day. All right, 9.53, right back after this. Okay, short segment here since it's 9.58. we got Peter Kersenow coming up after the top of the hour. Just to kind of underscore a little bit about what Jack Windsor and I were talking about there. Warren Davidson has all of you know the credentials of a rock-solid conservative, the kind of supporter that I would think Trump would be very, very you know behind. Jim Renacci 
has the same types of conservative credentials. Jim Renacci is, is, you know, the polar opposite of Mike DeWine when it comes to policy. And he, of course, is, you know, very close with President Trump insofar as the Trump White House um, invited and, in fact, basically asked Jim Renacci to abandon his gubernatorial run uh, previously in order to run for the Senate seat against uh, Sherrod Brown. We needed to win that seat. Jim Renacci did so. So one would think that President Trump would be wanting to give a boost to Jim Renacci. If it isn't Davidson, it ought to be Renacci. If it isn't Renacci, it ought to be Davidson. And again, Blystone, I should not eliminate as well, but just not part of this news story today with uh, Davidson. But the, the wheels of government in the state of Ohio, you know, with respect to the Republican Party, um, they don't work that way. Jane Timken is the inside player. Jane Timken is the, you know, now former ORP chair. She worked this perfectly, waited for Portman to announce his uh, decision not to run for re-election, even though she is accepting the new, you know, another term as chair of the ORP. Then she dumps that so that she can easily slide in. I would not be surprised if the fix isn't in further. Rather than her running for Senate, Paducek coming up and taking the ORP uh, chair slot, and then pushing all of the ORP resources behind her campaign for the Senate, ignoring the true conservatives, because they're not interested in true conservatives. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if the fix isn't in further, and that is Portman doesn't make it to his reelection campaign. He doesn't finish his term. He resigns. And has Mike DeWine appoint his replacement, Jane Timken, who then gets to run the rest of the way as an incumbent, giving her a huge advantage. I'm just telling you the stench coming from the Ohio Republican Party is is very, very powerful. And it's something we should all be very alerted to. I want to support Ohio Republicans. I want to support Ohio conservative Republicans, not rhinos, not the Portmans, certainly not the Timkins. And considering Paducic's role in this, I got to lump him with him in with that as well. Not that he's running for anything, but he of course is behind the scenes. I got a big problem with all of that, and we will continue to cover it in depth. I promise you, every day between now and the twenty two twenty twenty two election cycle. All right, it's ten oh one. We'll take a timeout for news. Kirsten, I'm next. 